everyone, and welcome to Authors on the Air. I am Allison Brennan, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be here with New York Times bestselling author, J.T. Ellison, to discuss her latest book, It's One of Us. Um, I literally just finished the book, and I had to jump onto Goodreads to write a review. Um, this is probably the best book JT has ever written. Um, it's one of those books that makes um, authors, fellow authors, humble because it is so well done. So if you're writing suspense or writing thrillers, you got to read this book just to find out what a masterpiece is, but then still go back to writing because obviously not everybody can be JT. Um, but seriously, no, I really, 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 really love the book. And so I can't wait um, to discuss uh, it with JT. So welcome, JT. Um, why don't you just give us just like a little two minute thing about your history? I mean, how, you know, you're obviously now have more than 20 books out. I'm sure like, tell us how many you have out and then segue into um, It's One of Us, which is now out available wherever books are sold. Allison, hi, to start, hi. <laughs> My, I, I mean, I'm completely boggled to hear you say that because, you know, I respect you so much. And for you to say I did a good job really means the world to me. So thank you. Seriously. Well, um, I, you did. Well, it only took me 25 tries. <laughs> right? I mean, this is my 25th published novel. So it took awesome. 20, 25 tries to get to this point. <laughs> it's like, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's a big book for me. It is a different kind of story and a different spectrum of emotion. And, and I really kind of took a lot of chances that I, I, I think, you know, at this point, if I don't, right, if you don't swing for the fences at some point, then why else are we doing this, right? Why else are we? Doing no, this? absolutely. And and I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I loved uh, all your other books, especially the you know me. I'm the old police procedural. I love Taylor Jackson. I still love Taylor Jackson. I think she's an amazing character. Um, and so when you segued into the more standalone domestic thrillers, you know, the not part of a series, um, you know, I went with you, but they weren't my first love. Um, Although her dark lies was very, very good. That was the gothic one, right? I can't, yeah. I can't keep all your titles straight. I did like that one. I did like that one a lot. But then this, this book just really, it was, first of all, because it is truly a suspense novel. It is at its core. It's a suspense novel. It is a mystery. It's a, I mean, it, it's a mystery thriller. So it's obviously what I love to read, but there's so much more layers to the story. Um, yeah. So you said it, it, I know that you took a long time to write this book. This wasn't like one of those that you just sit down and knock it out in three months and say, hey, yay, I could just go send that off to my editor. This took you a little bit more time. Yeah, like 10 years and five months. <laughs> 10 <laughs> years of thinking about it and five months of finally writing it, getting getting up the nerve. So, so it's one of us is the story of a young couple who are trying and failing to get pregnant. And the morning that the wife, Olivia, has yet another miscarriage. She goes downstairs to tell her husband and before she has a chance to say anything, there's a knock at the door and it's the police and they're looking for their son. But they don't have any children. 
So obviously somebody has been lying and everything unravels from that moment. We find out that her husband, yes, has been omitting some things from his past. He was a sperm donor and one of the 28 children that they have now identified is a murderer. And everything that they know and everything that they believe about each other is, is now suspect. And it has, it has multiple points of view because the way I'm looking at this is, is what Park did, the sperm donation, so many years ago was the pebble thrown into the pond. And then every concentric circle is one of the people who is affected by this. And there's so many of them. I mean, it was hard to kind of choose just who was going to be the, the focus of the story. But obviously, you know, his wife is the, is the main character and it's what has, how this wrecks them, how they, it wrecks their lives and how they try to rebuild from that. No, I, I, well, first of all, there was just a masterful um, plot idea. I mean, I'm, as everybody is kind of a little bit obsessed with DNA and 23 with me and all that. I mean, I, my husband is very into genealogy and he loved, he was, um, he's connected with a lot of relatives actually, and solved a lot of mysteries about, you know, adopted. One of his best friends was adopted and he solved her, her birth uh, story. And so he is fascinated by this. Um, I made, when he took my DNA, I made him use a fake name because I didn't want my DNA. <laughs> and I, I'm paranoid. Sure, <laughs> and also, sure. No, I get that. Um, but one of the things is because this is such a timely issue and everybody is really kind of, um, if, even if they haven't done it and submitted their DNA and tried to find people, they're at least aware of it. So it's a very timely topic to deal with, but it also, um, you really touch upon what is the ageless question is, um, are we our genetics? I mean, how right. much is genetics right. who we become? I mean, if he you know, has 28 children out there, are they all potentially killers? I mean, it's always those things that you think about. It's like, well, if there's one bad seed, it could any of them be that way? It's just, it's such a fascinating question. I mean, it's never going to be answered in our lifetimes, but it's one that I think we are constantly asking as writers and as human beings. Well, sure. And, and it's, you know, it's very important to me not to demonize sperm donation, right? This is a very common way to build a family. And statistically, if you look at it, I mean, one in 28, certainly somebody in, out of 28 people is going to be some sort of criminal, right? It's, it's not far-fetched as far as, as the statistics of this are concerned, but it's, it is a timely story and it is a little splashy and, and torn from the headlines um, because it's I mean, that deep philosophical core of who are we, where do we come from, and is nature responsible or is it nurture? And honestly, I think a lot of it is just free will. I think it's choice. I think it comes down, I think all crime, all criminal behavior comes down to the person doing it, making a choice. It doesn't matter if you're a, you know, the product of sperm donation. It doesn't matter if you've come up in an incredibly wealthy, lovely nuclear family, quote unquote, home in the suburbs. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your genes are. You make the choice ultimately on whether or not you're going to violate the law. And 
that's something that, you know, my, my murderer in this book is very interested in why he's become who he is. And he too is doing this kind of research as to, you know, what's, what has caused this? Why am I, you know? And I think that that's just, he's just not taking responsibility for the fact that he just murdered somebody and he had a reason for it. And I, well, and it's, it is a, it is a timeless question. And I do, you know, you always think, you know, I like the way you say it, nature versus nurture. And I always think, you know, why is it that one person who grows up in horrific childhood, grows up to be a good person and helps others. Mm -hmm. And another person that grows up in the exact same situation ends up being abusive or evil. And you, and so there has to be, you always want to say there's something, but you're right. It is free will. I mean, um, you know, not to get biblical, but God gave us free will and you could decide to do whatever you want. And if you don't have a moral core, um, you're just going to constantly justify whatever bad behavior that you do. Sure. Um, so no, it, it is a fascinating question. I love the way that you integrated um, the whole DNA thing, which is very scientific and how, you know, all that happens with the compelling murder mystery, because mm-hmm. it, it's just like taking two, two of my favorite things <laughs> and, you know, putting them together, but it was just so original. And the thing with, and I write, I'm not degrading any sperm donors because seriously, there's some people that absolutely need the services, but it is a fascinating way of, whoops, oh, wow, you have 28 kids and I didn't know. And and thinking of how Olivia felt and having her entire world shattered. I'm not giving, this is not a spoiler. This is all in the first two chapters, Um, but her entire world shattered just finding out about this and how she deals with it. Right. And it's, you know, that, that is, it's a relatively unregulated industry and you're at the mercy of the ethics of the company that you're working with, whether or not they use, you know, a, a donor who is, is healthy, um, who is, doesn't have any psychological issues. I mean, it it really, I'm, I'm hopeful there was a case in Georgia um, and there's a, a podcast and a book about it, donor 9623, that the, the company knew that he was schizophrenic and they knew that his bio was a complete lie and they used him over and over and over and over anyway, because right. it was six, he was very successful. Um, the statistics of, of his donations were very, very successful. And so now all of these families are on edge for the next 20 years to see if it manifests in their children. And, and that's just, that was absolutely fascinating to me, the idea that this isn't regulated. This is something that, you know, there should be national laws in place that, that govern how you are, but you know, it doesn't matter if there are laws in place, there's always going to be an unethical person or an unethical company that breaks the rules. We see it in the news day after day after day. It doesn't, not just sperm donation, everything. So it's, it is an interesting philosophical uh, question. Yeah, if there's money to be made, if sure. there's money to be made, there's going to be people that are going to break the rules. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So um, now this, this book, I mean, obviously it is a very emotional book mm-hmm. and I know that your end notes um, touch upon upon that. And I really, really loved when I read the end notes, how you 
thanked your husband first and you said why you thanked your husband first and usually you thank him at the very end yeah because it's like you know it's like yes I know I completely neglected you for the last four months when I was on deadline and I'm really really really, <laughs> really sorry but I love you you're my favorite um and I'm I'm very lucky to know Randy I think he's a wonderful human being you are so lucky to have him I'm always yes. a little teeny bit jealous because he also cooks but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um but why don't you touch upon it because I know because this is such an important part of the story touch upon the emotional and personal aspect of how you felt writing this and why it took you 10 years and why it took me 10 years to get up the guts to finally start to do it you know it was it was time I finally had some altitude I Randy and I suffered from infertility we went through a lot of people don't know this they didn't know what was happening while it was happening we didn't tell anybody because I felt like such a failure I could get pregnant I couldn't stay pregnant and I had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage and you know meanwhile my career is taking off I'm writing books that are being really well received and and everything and nobody knows that you know I'm I'm having these horrible weeks where you know things are are going very very south for us I knew I wanted to tell the story and there is a story in the book that is real. The sweet home Alabama joke was a real thing. And, and Randy came home from doing his, his part of that particular insemination process. And, and he said, so, sweet home Alabama was playing while I'm trying to do this. And I just, I guess I just couldn't, it was terrible. <laughs> and we laughed about it because you have to, there's always comedy in the tragedy, right? There's always something that you can latch onto that, that makes it funny. And, and so we had a really big laugh about that. And he says, you've got to put that in a novel. And so I sat with that for a really long time. And I've tried to write it a couple of times but I was going about it wrong. I was writing it from his perspective. I was writing it from the husband's perspective of, wow, what would happen if people started knocking on the door? Hi, I'm your kid. Hi, I'm your kid. Hi, I'm your kid. And one of them was a murderer. Okay, that's, that's a really cool story. But it, it never came to life for me. So I would work on it and then I'd put it away. I'd work on it, put it away. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago because I turned this in 18 months ago. So it's, it's been a couple of years. So a couple of years ago, I was thinking about it again and a woman popped into my mind and I could see her so perfectly. And she was walking down a beach. She had her arms around her waist. She was, she had black hair. She had chinos that were rolled up. She was wearing a chunky sweater. And I realized, oh my gosh, it's her story. It's the wife's story. Oh, and then everything kind of crashed together. But it was a really hard book to write because, you know, writing can be very cathartic when you've gone through a trauma. And I processed this in many different ways. If you read the last Taylor book in the series and the first Sam book in, the, in her series, the Samantha Owen series, I'm clearly processing the losses very openly. And I didn't really realize I was doing that. But to talk about them so intimately as happens in this book it, it was not like ripping off a band-aid it was getting the razor blades out and just cutting my arm open over and over and over so I would write 7,000 words in a day and then I wouldn't touch it for two weeks and then I'd come back and I would write another chunk of, of words and then I would step away so it was it was written in large swaths of 
of words, which is not my normal process. Normally I'm a thousand words a day and nip at it every single day. Um, so it, it was written differently. And I think that lends itself to the multiple points of view because you're able to, you know, really deep dive in with all of these characters as to how they are affected by this one, well, the, the omission of his emissions as we've been joking. <laughs> Because Park did not tell, he just didn't tell Olivia that he, that he did this. And he had an opportunity to do that. And this is what's so interesting about this story to me, is the lies of omission, right? You, when you have an opportunity to come clean about something, that's when you need to do it. And if you don't, that's when you start treading into really dangerous territory. And she offers for him to go donate so that he can have something of himself left behind when she starts to realize, wow, I'm never going to be able to carry to term. And she gives him this gift and he doesn't say to her, Olivia, I did that when I was in college. We're all good. She could have, but if he had, then we wouldn't have a book. So <laughs> well, kind of glad that he, he held that back. You know, and also when you think of the emotional, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a guy. So I can't really, you know, I don't know what guys think of, you know, the little spermies, you know, swimming around there. So I don't know how, what emotional component he would have, but I would know what an emotional component I would have. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I wrote a book where the um, mom lost a child. That's my worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard book to write because I have not lost a child. But I can picture it. I used to have a recurring, I used to have a recurring nightmare um, when I had my second child that I, my car went off a bridge and I could only save one. And then I would wake up in a cold sweat, not knowing who I saved. Because, you know, you, you, obviously when you're a mom, you just, you just have a, you think of things differently mm -hmm. and your world, you think of your world. So it was a hard book. I never wrote a book about a, a character, my main character having lost a child because it was a little too, it was it was a little too close to home I didn't want to think about it so I but I couldn't by myself in the man's perspective is like does he even care if he donated sperm I mean seriously there's millions of them every single time so it's like okay well there's millions there's only one egg every month for a woman you know we only have one little one egg that you know and you got a million soldiers coming in there mm -hmm. so I wouldn't know how he would feel so maybe he doesn't even think it's a lie of omission because it's like not important to him you know what I mean if I don't know. I was, but it, I as it turns that. out, it is very important to him. As it as it turns out, it is well, in over the course. Very, of the yeah, it, you know, and I think it, I think it's really interesting. We do things when we're kids that we don't think about what the effect's going to happen down the road. I mean, in in his case, it was it was closed. He couldn't be identified. Um, he didn't want to be contacted. You know, he he thought he was protecting himself. He thought he was helping. He thought it was noble to help people. And it was, without a doubt. I mean, he does nothing wrong here. The only thing he does wrong is not tell his wife when his wife gives him the opportunity. That's yeah. his great sin, right? Well, and lies of omission is a, is, a, is a big thing. Well, and I, I guess I, I'm trying to phrase this in a way because I don't want to give anything away because it is such a compelling part of the story. But um, well, we we already know he has all these kids out there. And so, and we know one of them is a killer pretty much from the very beginning of the book. Um, 
but how he reacts to them and wanting to get to know them in juxtapose that against his wife who I don't know that he understood how she felt at first at least maybe by the end you know he could have some inkling of how she felt but I just felt you know it's like wow that's kind of I wouldn't say mean it's not mean but it's like insensitive well very insensitive for sure but you know you've got to you've got to think about men don't normally express their emotions the way that women do they can be very closed off right it doesn't mean they're not having the emotion they just don't want to experience it so they shut it down and i think he's got a lot of that and i think he's also starting i mean this is an incredibly difficult situation for a a husband and wife to be in i i can speak to that very clearly um and honestly it is hard it's hard on the woman it's hard on the man and you either grow closer or you grow apart and and they have grown apart the she's as we opened she's on her sixth failed round of IVF I mean that's a lot it's been it's been financially taxing it's been emotionally taxing and it's been driving a wedge between them. And that, you know, that is just so common. There's so many divorces after this kind of, of situation. And I think Randy and I are a really good example of why that doesn't have to happen. I mean, we, on the other hand, grew closer and we supported each other and he supported me and I supported him because I know it's horrible for him. I mean, I know it's horrible for him. You know, and there there are just moments where it'll rear its head every once in a while. And it's we both are just like, wow, you know, it, it just hits us like like a, a brick wall. And we have to turn to each other and comfort one another. And, and that a lot of people don't do. We met a lot of people going through this while we were going through it as well, because the, the clinic puts you all together in a room to train <laughs> you. Um, there's nothing more awful than your first IBS training session with all of the people sitting around the table. Um, and you really get to, to get a sense of, you know, some of the men are just not there. They don't care. They, they are just checked out. Some of the men are overwhelmingly protective and they're the ones that are invested. Um, there's some women that were there by themselves. One who, uh, it broke my heart. She had two children who had a very severe um, uh, uh, birth defect that was manifesting itself. And so they were trying to have a third child to use it as a stem cell donor mm. to try to fix them. And I, I mean, so there's so many reasons why women and families have these conversations and have to have scientific background, uh, scientific methods to get pregnant. It's, it's really, really interesting. There's a lot of it. So, yeah, I wish, I mean, I, you know, me, I could talk to you forever, I know, Um, I know. but we do have to wrap this up. I just want um, to make sure that everybody knows that it's one of us by JT Ellison is out now wherever books are sold, or if you like the audiobooks, I'm big into audiobooks now. This is actually um, the first physical book I have read all year. I've only listened to books since really? the, since Christmas, basically. Um, 
so you could find this on audio, you can find it on ebook, you could find it. Is it um, a trade original or hardcover? It's hardcover. Or is it, okay. Um, so you, wherever you get your books, go out and get this book. You will absolutely love it. I, it's one of the books that you really are probably only going to be able to read in one or two sittings because you have to know what happens. <laughs> um, it, you know, it is one of those books. I, it took me three nights basically, or two nights in a, this morning to read it, but you did, I really didn't want to put it down because I had to know what happened because that's the mystery. It, there, it is an absolutely compelling mystery um, that I know that all of your fans are going to love. And I am sure you will gain some new readers with this one. So thank you so much for being here today at Authors on the Air. And I can't wait till next year when your next book comes out. <laughs> thank you, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.